entering the Freedom Hut. The Green New Deal is an amazing idea, except the Democrats themselves don't want to implement it, apparently. We'll talk about the latest shenanigans from the far left in this country and also some updates on the Jussie Smollett mega hoax. And the border situation is spiraling out of control. That and more coming up for you on The Buck Sexton Show. This This is The Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I was waitressing in a taco shop in downtown Manhattan. I just got health insurance for the first time a month ago. This is not an elitist issue. Tell that to the families in Flint whose kids have their blood is ascending in in lead levels. Their brains are damaged for the rest of their lives. Call them elitist. You're telling them that those kids are trying to get on a plane to Davos. People are dying. They are dying. And the response across the other side of the aisle is to introduce an amendment five minutes before a hearing and a markup. This is serious. This should not be a partisan issue. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. There you had the de facto leader of the Democrat Party, 28-year-old Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Or is she 27? I can't remember. Lecturing us on how people are dying. That's what's at stake with her Green New Deal nonsense. That that people are dying, she says. Well, first of all, of course, people are dying all over the world. That's that that happens. But I, I think what she means is if we don't take action as laid out in this Green New Deal, this massive template of environment oh she's 29 thanks producer mike i was a year off environmental socialism right if we don't jump down that rabbit hole if we don't decide that that's the way we're going to go then then we are responsible then we have the blood of people on our hands because as she says people are dying that is the claim that she makes that is what we are supposed to be acting on but If that were the case, what I would present to you is shouldn't Democrats then take every opportunity right away to take action on this issue? Shouldn't the Democrats move as quickly as they can to push as far as they can on the issue of the Green New Deal? Oh, but that's right. When Mitch McConnell holds a vote... Keep in mind that there's not going to be any real legislation that goes forward um, between now and the election because no major policy legislation, at least. I don't think infrastructure is going to happen because you've got a divided a divided Congress. So we all know this. We're all big boys and girls. We understand this. But Mitch McConnell says, "Okay, you guys love your Green New Deal so much. I've got an idea. Let's vote on your Green New Deal. And so they had this vote. And Republicans all voted one way and the Democrats voted in the Senate, voted present. Now, why is this so telling? Why is this important? And give give cocaine Mitch some credit. 
He knows. And if you don't know why we call him Cocaine Mitch, it's because one of his competitors in a Senate race ran some crazy commercial about how some company he owned somewhere, somehow someone found cocaine somewhere. It's it's insane. But it's kind of become an insidery nickname for him in D.C. And it's funny because he's a le- he's the least cocaine like guy I think you could ever find. Um, but but Mitch McConnell knows the Democrats love the Green New Deal to appeal to their base so that billionaire mega donors, guys like Tom Steyer and others who are all into this Green New Deal lunacy. Because it's it's this I'm I'm here to tell you the same people that believe that Russia Trump collusion was real and we're sure of it are sure about the Green New Deal. And I was right on that and you were right on that. We're going to be right on this one, too. We are right on this one, too. They have lost it. They do not understand the reality of the world around them. And they have replaced it with this uh, existential threat of we must embrace 29-year-old Ocasio-Cortez's vision of the economy and, and government and uh, or, or else we're all going to die. Um, if you look at some of the specifics in the Green New Deal, you realize that they're foolish beyond belief. I mean, even Congressman Sean Duffy, who I actually had a, I had a, uh, a drink with. I was going to say a beer, but you all know I can't drink beer. I had a drink with him uh, a few weeks back, and uh, we, we televised it, so I'm not like I'm speaking out of school. And he pointed out that, you know, this Green New Deal, you better be uh, a fancy Palo Alto type if you're really going to do this, because it's going to be very expensive. Play 12. The Green New Deal is one uh, that if you're a rich liberal from maybe New York or California, it sounds great because you can afford to retrofit your home or build a new home that has uh, a zero emissions, that's energy efficient, affordable and safe. Yeah, for you, it's great. For you, it's a producer. Mike asked a great question. Do we think do we think that Ocasio-Cortez knows what country Davos is in that because she's heard people be like, oh, Davos, like all the fancy people in their private jets go to Davos. Does she know where Davos is? I would. Uh, Mike, if I get the chance, I'll ask her. Yeah, if I get the. Ch- if, I bet yeah, you she thinks you. it's in like Connecticut or something. Oh, yeah. Davos, Connecticut's lovely this time of year. Yeah. 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 I I think I think you I think you raise a good one. So, you know, this is this is, though, if you're why does this matter? It matters because this because the Green New Deal is really just about the left wing base getting fired up, getting those donations rolling. The demagoguery of the left on all these different issues brought under this false existential threat of climate change. And it gives them an ability to pretend to have serious and transformational ideas when they really don't what do the libs really want medicare for all and the green new deal well medicare for all is just expanding an already existing but unsustainable and far too expensive government program and in the process eliminating the private health insurance market which is a disastrous idea and people don't want and the green new deal is kind of whatever they say it is but they don't want to be held to it They don't want to be asked questions about it. They just want to talk about it when they want to, whether it's Warren or Cory Booker or Kamala Harris or you name it. They just want to be able to say the Green New Deal is so important. So they get applause from the far left, but they don't want to be asked questions like, "Okay, what trade-offs will you make for the Green New Deal? How serious are you really about this Green New Deal? 
They don't want to answer questions. They don't want to have to be pushed on matters of policy. They just want the credit for standing tall and saving the world and all this other complete nonsense. I mean, it is just transparent garbage from them. But this is what liberals get used to. They get used to a talking point that they can run around with and feel like they're so brave and tall and wonderful. And the moment that you say, well, hold on a second. What do you really, what do you really mean by that? They go, oh, my gosh. Why are you so terrible? Why do you want to help all the oil and gas companies while people are dying out there? AOC, stupid, but powerful and dangerous to this country. Don't forget it. Just because he's not been criminally indicted for collusion doesn't mean he has conducted colluding types of behavior with the Russians. I agree with Bob Mueller. I accept his report that the president did not commit criminal collusion. But if the best day of his presidency is that he's not been indicted for criminal collusion, we still have problems. Let's see the full report as soon as possible. Right. If the president no, truly exonerated, we can absolutely agree on that immediately. I love it, man. Representative Swalwell there, who is one of these guys who's be- look, he got very well known on this issue. He's become famous because of collusion. He's one of the collusion conspiracy theorists out there. But uh, Re- Representative Swalwell is. You know, he, he he's out there and, and he's sticking to his guns on this, man. Oh, my gosh. Just because just because there wasn't criminal collusion, it doesn't mean that that there wasn't, you know, uh, collusion. Uh, first of all, collusion is not even a crime. It's criminal conspiracy. And yes, if Bob Mueller, after all the stuff that he went through, after all the stuff that he put the Trump administration through, if he did not find a criminal conspiracy Any normal person needs to admit, no, there wasn't one. This would not be a hard thing to figure out. This would not be difficult, by the way. And anyone who takes a step back and says, if we're talking about a buttoned buttoned up or buttoned down, whichever one makes more sense there. But if we're talking about somebody who is going to run a very well-oiled machine and and, and a, a ship with no leaks... Uh, Trust me, the the Trump campaign is not that thing. The Trump campaign colluding with Russia and not leaving a giant neon pink sign as a trail is is not possible. All right. I I, I talked to Carter Page today for quite a while. He was on set with us for about 20 minutes. And, you know, I, I really like Carter. You know, he's a very nice guy. He's quirky for sure. He's kind of a weird dude. But I mean that in a nice way. Like he's just an unusual guy. And the fact that he I remember when those stories broke about, you know, Carter Page, a possible Russian asset that anyone at the FBI who and they knew Carter Page, he had helped them on a previous on previous issue, previous case. Anyone who thought that Carter Page was. You know, a, a Russian asset should be removed from a position of authority right away. I mean, this guy, there is no chance. I was there no chance. No normal, rational person could ever think for a second that Carter Page was, in fact, a Russian spy. Like, you talk to this guy for a minute, and it is so transparently ridiculous. Um, But, you know, they, they still, they were clinging to it. They were still, you know, trying to, 
trying to make a go of it somehow, and he was the justification for the FISA warrant. He was the guy that was supposed to be the one that was going to bring this all together. And he's suing now. He's suing the DNC for defamation. I, I hope he has other court fights ahead, and I hope he wins them because he should. People are calling this guy a traitor. What a horrible thing to be said about somebody who did nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. I mean, nobody believes Carter Page did anything wrong. You know, nobody thinks that he, he committed a, any kind of crime. There's not even an allegation of a crime. But they used the most powerful surveillance tools in the United States government's arsenal on him. The Obama administration certainly got aggressive. And as we were discussing yesterday, these were Obama officials, Obama appointees. Does anybody really think that Obama did not know about this? Did anybody really think that this did not make its way all the way up to that? Look, Trump said it yesterday. They had to know. They had to know. It's just not feasible. It's not credible that they would not have known about this. Right. Um, and, and that means that there was an opening for people at the very top of the national security hierarchy. There was an opening for them to engage in dirty politics. And I think what we see is they took it. They went with that opening. They decided that, yeah, you know what? That's probably probably the thing to do here. That's what they did. And will there be accountability for it? I, 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 don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I wish I could say otherwise, but I don't think so. Um, that said, I also believe very strongly that we should look because if there's not at least a fear of future accountability, the next round of Democrats will do this again. Look at how successful they were this time around. I mean, if things had gone a little differently, maybe they would have stopped President Trump. You know, maybe they would have been able to throw the election or or uh, or create some political pressure that was just so powerful that Trump doesn't matter that he is personally up for staying in the fight. It would have forced him out of office. <laughs> and even at this point, you have Swalwell, you know, not not backing down on collusion. Just because there's not an indictment doesn't mean there wasn't collusion. Sure, buddy. So why, why was there collusion exactly? Give me, now that we know, see, they used to say, oh, just wait for the Mueller report. That's where the evidence is going to be. Now that we have the Mueller report and there's no evidence, I'm just wondering when do we get to find out what this evidence is? Right? It, the evidence isn't in the Mueller report, but it's somewhere else. There's there's some other evidence of uh, of collusion somewhere. Uh, who who believes this stuff? And speaking of of holding the other side accountable, you know, Rudy, whom I also got to hang out with this week, got a great photo of I, I saw him in the green room last night at Fox. I saw him a few days ago uh, on Rising. You know, Rudy and I were hanging out. Um, Rudy takes a different approach to Mueller than than everybody else as well. Play clip 11. Not that he acted honorably. I would have to disagree with my client. I thought their treatment of Manafort was way over the top. I think that shouldn't be allowed. We have been fed this whole story for so long that Mueller is amazing and Mueller is is the guy that, you know, you know, you can you know, you can count on and that he acts so honorably all the time. And he's such a wonderful human being and all this. We've been fed this whole thing. But why is that true? 
Has, has anyone ever stopped to think maybe that, you know, Mueller hates Trump the same way that now I, I just because he didn't have the evidence to indict him doesn't mean he doesn't hate him. Um, Mueller might have disliked Trump the same way that Peter Strzok or James Comey or, you know, these guys, these very these very uptight FBI guys at the top of the bureau. They're not going to like a guy like Trump. You know, they don't like guys that break the rules and, and live life their own way and all that. They don't like that rogue behavior. Trust me. I don't like that stuff at the CIA either. Uh, the line that he threw in there about maybe, you know, we're not going to exonerate him. We're not going to not exonerate him on uh, on the issue of obstruction. That was that was there was a bitterness in that. That was meant to be a kind of poison pill left behind in that report. So and, and the way they've treated Manafort, who's uh, Rudy told me he's in solitary confinement. That's crazy. Keeping this old man in solitary confinement. What, what purpose does that serve? Because they think that he might have done some witness tampering. He needs to be commuted right now. Commuted. Sentenced to time served, you know, and, and, and let out of prison. Let him get back with his family. And and let me be very clear about this. General Michael Flynn should be out of all legal jeopardy forthwith. He should be pardoned. They ambushed him. They abused the professional courtesy that he extended to the FBI under the false pretenses of a, an investigation, the Logan Act, to take down a decorated American war, warrior. No. Not on my watch. General Flynn should be pardoned. I'll do everything I can to get that word out and far. I'm going to get the word to President Trump. I know he's hearing it from other people, but I want to get it to him myself because General Flynn needs to be pardoned. We'll have more for you coming up. He's a person. He's a person that brought this forward. Now, I remind you all, it goes back to also a letter. The evidence came forward. A grand jury saw the evidence, realized this was a hoax, a hoax on the city, a hoax on hate crimes, a, ho- a hoax on people of good values. This That's right. is without a doubt a whitewash of justice and sends a me- clear message that if you're in a position of influence and power, you'll get treated one way, other people will be treated another way. Mr. Smollett is still saying that he is innocent, still running down the Chicago Police Department. How dare him? How dare him? This is an unbelievable, not just whitewash of justice, this is a person now who's been let off scot-free with no sense of accountability of the moral and ethical wrong of his actions. Not only that, Jussie Smollett, folks, is thinking about suing the city of Chicago I saw today. This is appalling. Uh, but this is what happens when you get somebody who's a, a very connected, protected, special treatment Democrat in the Chicago machine politics uh, machinery. I kind of lost my you know what I meant. Um, this is from Fox News today. Chicago police came out swinging Wednesday, released the full 61 page investigative report in the alleged Jussie Smollett hate crime hoax. One day after charges against the Empire Star were dramatically dropped, uh, about an hour after the department released the file, Chicago police reportedly became subject of a court order from, uh, that barred them from releasing further files, even though they were widely available online. Yeah. The dismissal of charges against Smollett over the alleged attack drew a swift backlash. 
the police files, some of which were redacted to remove witness names and personal information, laid out steps taken by detectives to get to the bottom of what happened on the night of January 29th. The report revealed new details about the police obtaining a search warrant for Smollett's iCloud account and then sharing the data with the FBI. The report also provided fresh details about the $3,500 check that Smollett wrote Abel Osendero and Olabinjo Osendero. The brothers claimed they were paid to carry out the attack on Smollett, though Smollett said the money was for uh, personal training. Um, this is, I mean, I, I knew this was going to happen, and that's, it should happen. They should get, uh, I mean, somebody obviously needs to, they need to just leak all this stuff. Uh, this, this needs to just be aired out entirely, that this smug, sanctimonious, self-righteous little punk Jussie Smollett is now doing the whole, I was always truthful and I'm going to fight for justice. And, you know, liberals get better heroes, really. You know, just just stop putting people forward for all the rest of us to think are so great and to worship and everything who, who are just awful. You know, just get better heroes. That's really one of the takeaways I have from all this. Uh, the, the, Smollett, the Smollett situation is... Just such a classic case. And, you know, we you know what else annoys me, too, about this is that of all these people that, that this happens, they say, well, you know, other people, you know, this happens all the day, all the time, except it happens to people with white privilege. No, it doesn't. This does not happen all the time. You do not get people who say that don't know what the heck you are talking what the heck they're talking about. Right. That is just not true. That is not true. Uh, you do not have a grand jury bring down a, a an initial indictment of 17 felony counts, and then without anybody being involved or talking about anything, all of a sudden, the prosecutor drops all charges, does not inform the investigative agency, and has the court seal the proceedings right away so no one gets to see anything and know anything. I mean, this, it could not be a more obvious hit what happened here. And yes, there's... Look, there's a connection into the Obama power structure in Chicago. I mean, you had Michelle Obama's chief of staff, who there are now calls for a federal investigation of her weighing in here. And this is the Chicago way. You know, that that this guy is, uh, Smollett is connected. And he's done events with the Obamas. And, you know, he is very much part of the Chicago power structure. So it's just, it's just amazing. Um. It's it's amazing that this person holds any kind of public trust is also just mind boggling. This this prosecutor Fox is her last name, F-O-X-X. And uh, this is utterly mind boggling that this that this happened the way that it did, that that Jussie Smollett is able to walk away and that he's so dumb as to claim that this is vindication for him. Um, yeah, the files this morning were the last ones that we're going to get from the cops because yesterday's order to seal the docks initially was believed to not apply to the city of Chicago, but now there's an updated order. So they, they made sure that this is a shutdown as shutdown can be. They don't want anyone to know because this guy's a hoaxer. We're not idiots. We're not idiots. 
Chicago authorities also, I see here, according to uh, townhall.com, are shocked because the case file has vanished from their records database like it never existed. They made this thing. Nobody has this kind of power in the the, uh, justice system. They have made this thing actually disappear. They didn't make it just kind of go away or not that big of a thing. They made this disappear. It's like it never happened. Um, apparently the assistant state's attorney's office in Chicago is asking employees for other examples like this. They sent this out. This is according to my friend Emily Zanotti. He's been covering this very closely over the Daily Wire. Uh, we are looking for examples of cases, felony preferable, where in exercising our discretion, we've entered into verbal agreements with defense attorneys to dismiss charges if conditions were met. Please ask your ASAs if they have examples of these type of dispositions and we'll work with them to figure out what case it was done on. Nobody's in trouble. We're looking for further examples of how we as prosecutors. Yeah, that's right. They're desperate to try to find some way to make it seem like this wasn't the most special kind of justice imaginable for Jussie Smollett. That's what they were doing here. That's what this is really all about. And and I just I just have to say, you know, what what a a what a horrendous example this is for really everybody um, about what really goes on in our justice system and, and how um, the way that you can abuse it if you happen to be connected and if you happen to be powerful. Um, I mean, th- th- there should be so much shame here, but obviously there's there's no shame from Jesse Smollett. He is out there lecturing, lecturing all the rest of us about this and, and acting like he's done nothing wrong. Look, I'm just glad, team, we were right. We were right all along. You know, we were right about this one. We were right when we were uh, saying that he's a liar and this was a hoax. And uh, here we are. Here we are now, finally able to uh, say that the justice system looks terrible. And it it is not, in fact, just, quote, rich white guys who get away with murder. Uh, And it's not just O.J. Simpson. Uh, there are people that get away with all kinds of shenanigans. Now, did Jesse Smollett is what he did the worst thing ever? No, I know. Should he be punished? Absolutely. He denigrated hate crimes in this process. He lied and lied and lied. And we're, we were told many times during the Russia collusion investigation that lying is a very serious crime. And uh, what he's done overall, I think we could just say, is a, a terrible abuse of police resources and also hurts the public's faith in the Chicago Police Department. I mean, all of these things are real problems. All of these things are unacceptable. So I, I just think that it's time that somebody try to hold Jussie Smollett to account for, for some of this stuff. That would be quite excellent. I talked to him just a few minutes ago, the president, and he said, let it out. There'll be some things in there I think will be uh, interesting in terms of conversations. But the bottom line here is that Mueller has looked at this for two and a half years. He's concluded that no one on the Trump campaign colluded with the Russians and that the the facts regarding um, obstruction were insufficient for him to make a decision. Therefore, there is no way you could prosecute a case if the prosecutor is unsure. No way you could prosecute a case if the prosecutor is unsure. Okay. That's true. This report, though, this report needs to come out, my friends. This report needs to come out because 
we, we need to stop hearing the, the libs whine about how, oh, if only the report was out, then we'd see the real truth. Yeah, yeah, we, we get it. All right. En- enough. Enough. We, we, know, we know the game they're playing and we don't like it, which is going to be, oh, we can't say anything now. Let's just let's avoid the reckoning that should occur. Uh, let's avoid the reckoning that should happen because we're going to say that we need to see this report and the American people are going to be told that they need to wait. Just you need to wait on this thing. You know, it's uh, it, just just give it some time and then we'll really be able to dig into it. No, no, we already, you know, the bar, they, they were lying about this as soon as the initial judgment came out saying, well, Barr couldn't have read this thing. Actually, Barr had three weeks to read it, but that was cute that they had that initial uh, that initial reaction to it, that initial attempt at trying to justify why it was unacceptable that Barr. Oh, oh, or, or they do this. This is the latest from Nancy Pelosi that Bill Barr himself can't be trusted. Play one. An interpretation by attorney general who is appointed for a particular job to make sure the president is above the law. We need to see the report. So that's my message uh, to our members. I mean, just what a slander. What a slander, you know, that that's why this guy was appointed to make sure the president's above all. So was Rod Rosenstein in on it, too, because he signed off on this. And are, are we supposed to believe let, let's really dig into this for a moment. Are we really supposed to believe that Bob Mueller, with the team of highly trained and motivated prosecutors that he has, we're really supposed to believe that Bob Mueller uh, is going to sit back while the report is mischaracterized by Rosenstein and Bob Barr? I mean, does, does anyone really believe that? And I mean, does anyone? Like, does Nancy Pelosi believe that? I, I don't think so. I don't think there are Democrats who are that dumb. They're, they may be that dishonest, but I don't think they're that dumb. I, I do believe that there are some limitations to what they can convince themselves to believe. But, you know, we'll we'll have to see. Uh, we'll have to see. They are, to be sure, scrambling, scrambling to try and avoid this becoming an ongoing political liability for them. You know, and they got a little free advice from from Lindsey Graham on this one. Play clip nine my Democratic friends to do. Let this go. There is no grand conspiracy here. Mr. Barr is a great man. He served this country for decades. He's very honorable. He's just telling you what Mueller found after two and a half years. And I will say this, if they don't accept this and they keep wanting an outcome in spite of the evidence, they're going to get President Trump reelected on this issue alone. I wish that were true. Meaning that I wish what Lindsey Graham was saying there was correct. I can't tell you that I think it is true, though. And here's why. Libs are crazy. Maybe that, that should, I should probably just put that at the top of the show. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Libs are crazy. Um, but no, the, the liberal mind has really been broken by Trump. Uh, the, the collective, collectivist liberal mind has been, been fractured into a million little pieces. Um, and wasn't that a book, by the way, Brandon, remember that was the, wasn't that the book that went on Oprah and then the guy wasn't really about him or something, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, 
right? Is it wasn't it called a million a million little pieces? I think so. I'm thinking of anyway. the South Park version though, a million little fibers with a tally, but that's me. I don't even know what that is, dude. But you know, you know, you know things that I yeah. A million little pieces, a book by James Frey, sold as a memoir, later sold as semi-fictional. Okay, yes, I was right. I was right. Anyway, the liberal mind has been shattered by by Trump, and so they're not going to care. Uh, the savvy, the savvy ones among the libs are not going to care that the um, uh, Mueller probe did not work as advertised because the whole point of it was to slow down people and to make life difficult for Trump. And, and, and in that regard, it has worked. So the Mueller probe, unfortunately, in a sense here, the, the bad guys have won. I mean, the Mueller probe is... Um, you know, it was was victorious in that it was very annoying for the Trump administration. But the ones that are true believers that really thought, oh, the Putin Kremlin axis of the international conspiracy and people that really believed all that stuff. They're not going to all of a sudden become Trump voters. So then what are we talking? We're talking about, OK, the, the, the swing voters in those oh so important swing states. And those of you listening to this show in Pennsylvania, what's up, Pennsylvania, out in Harrisburg area, uh, Pennsylvania and Ohio and, you know, Florida, you know, y- y- you know that, oh, you are just oh so desirable to those politicians. They, they can't sweet talk you enough in those states. But. Are, are the are the swing voters in those places really going to care about the Russia collusion overreach? I, I, I don't think so. I think that's unlikely. So it's going to come down to these other issues, which I'm going to talk to you about in the next hour. It's going to come down to the economy. Huge, huge question. No one's really looking at right now is what does the economy look like going into the next election? Is there a cyclical downturn in the American economy? If that happens, we're 22 trillion in debt, folks. We got over a trillion dollars in student loans. The subprime auto loan bubble out there right now is, I think, also over a trillion dollars. It's huge. There's huge amounts of bad debt, lots and lots of bad debt in the system. And that stuff comes due and it gets ugly. It gets ugly when it does. So keeping all that in mind. What happens if the economy gets bad? Oh, no one's really paying too much attention to that one. I think the Democrats and the, even the Democrat socialists, or at least the Democrat socialist programs like Medicare for All, that sounds a lot more appealing. But healthcare, in general is going to be a, a big issue, a big determining issue. You know this. I mean, this is, this is meat and potato stuff. This is very straightforward. I think the immigration debate is going to be another one that really, really matters in the 2020 election. Do I think Russia collusion is going to matter in 2020? As much as we won and our week has been a big victory lap, folks, I don't think it's going to determine the outcome of the next election. I really don't. You're probably familiar with the AARP, right? But, you know, AARP is actually pretty left wing and they fought tooth and nail for a government run healthcare system. So if you're a senior out there, you're listening to this. I got an idea. Try the conservative alternative to the AARP. That's AMAC. All right. AMAC was founded by an Air Force veteran, Dan Weber, over a decade ago to represent not only conservative views, but policy that's good for America. AMAC advocates for border protection, fixing Social Security, fiscal responsibility. And oh, by the way, when you join AMAC, you get discounts on car insurance, hotels, roadside assistance, dental plans, even cell service options. So 
Put your money where your heart is on this one. Stand with AMAC as they fight the good fight by becoming a member today. Join right now at amac.us slash buck. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S slash buck. Just type that into your browser. A-M-A-C dot U-S slash buck. AMAC is better, better for you, better for America. I'm very disappointed and vehemently opposed to the administration seeking to invalidate the entire Affordable Care Act. Clearly, there are provisions of the law that do need to be fixed. The answer is for the administration to work with Congress and present a plan to replace and fix the law. Obamacare is a disaster. It's too expensive by far. People can't afford it, and the deductible is horrible. So the premiums cost too much, the deductible is horrible. The only difference between now and the other administration is that we're administering Obamacare very well. So we've made it better, but it's still horrible, no good. Uh, It's something that we can't live with in this country. We're going to be the party of great health care. And the Democrats have let you down. They've really let you down. Obamacare doesn't work. It's too expensive. It's a disaster for our people. We're not going to allow it to go. The party of health care, Trump says. I certainly hope so, because health care is always in the top three issues, usually right behind the economy and jobs in all polling based on likely voters across the country. So health care is obviously really, really important to people and we should not lose sight of that people really care about their health care and now there's this court challenge to obamacare and look do i think that on the merits this court challenge is likely to strike down the rest of the obamacare law no i think that's unlikely however do i think that obamacare should have been struck down by the supreme court back in what was it 2012 2013 i can't remember now yes yes i do Um, I I think that Obamacare very much should have lost at the Supreme Court the first time around. I do not think the federal government has a right to regulate the purchasing of a private product, to mandate an end to your inactivity on an issue. Um, And I I think that they got it wrong on that. But as to Obamacare itself, it's very clear that it does not work as advertised that it, it was uh, rammed through without, of course, any bipartisan votes whatsoever, that we were lied to, and Obama explicitly lied to us about this. You're going to keep your doctor. It's going to be great health care. It's going to be cheaper. You're going to keep it. Um, no, you, will, you do not keep If you like your doctor, you did not get to keep your doctor. But even beyond that, Obamacare was eventually supposed to be phased in uh, you know, much more broadly through the rest of the health care market, but they kept... Just by fiat, when Kathleen Sebelius and you know whoever else was implementing it under the Obama administration, they would say, well, you know, that's going to be really unpopular. So we're not going to do that part of it. All right. We, we can't do that. You know, we're going to we have to draw a line on, on that issue. Um, and they were just changing the law as they went along. You know, they gave themselves all this discretion, which just meant rewriting the law in real time. And that discretion, as we as we have seen hasn't made the law all that much better. It just meant that people weren't dealing with the full effects of it. You know, Obamacare got sold to us as more health care for essentially health care for everyone. That'll be great and cheap. And what you have is health care for actually a pretty small segment of the population overall. 
that really is just an expansion of Medicaid, right? The healthcare welfare system. That's what Obamacare mostly did was said, okay, now you qualify for Medicaid too in different states. Uh, And then in these individual markets, it created a, a subsidy system whereby young and healthy people pay more into the individual market to subsidize older and sicker people. That's what really has happened in the Obamacare market. The parts of the law that did not work as intended are bringing down costs. That's just a joke. Um, And giving people quality health care. I mean, I can tell you, you know, it's hard enough when you have pretty decent private health insurance. It's hard enough to have health care that you you can like and you think is good. Uh, Trust me when I tell you that going into most most doctor's offices in New York or Washington, D.C. and saying that you and you have a an ACA plan, you know, an Obamacare plan, you're, you're probably not going to get seen. Uh, they're probably or, or at least you're going to pay out of pocket. And the deductible for out of pocket is seven thousand dollars for most people. That's way more than they're going to spend on health care in any given year. You know, for, for most Americans, a seven thousand dollar deductible is really just what you have is expensive, catastrophic insurance. So instead of, you know, if it were free market-based, and uh, this is an enormously complicated issue, and we're going to keep talking about healthcare, so I'm not, I can't solve this right now. But, you know, if you were trying to buy a health insurance plan for yourself, you say, you know what, I'm going to pay all my own health expenses out of pocket. But beyond $10,000 a year, Meaning if I get really sick and I have legitimate health expenses and I, and I want a plan that's not going to say, oh, you know, this type of cancer isn't covered. Only this, you know, you, you got a plan that's really going to say if you are sick, if there is medical need beyond $10,000, your insurance kicks in and picks up, you know, 90% of it or whatever it may be. You could probably get that plan for if you're reasonably young and healthy, you know. 100 bucks a month, maybe. I mean, you know, in a, in a free market, I mean, I'm just guessing, but in a free market system, that's probably what it would you be able to do but for 100 bucks a month. I mean, the, the premiums that people are paying under Obamacare plans for a family of four, outrageous. Outrageous. And then they have to pay the deductible on top of that. So it's not good insurance. It's not good insurance. And, and they'll, they'll put people forward with these stories, either of pre-existing conditions or that had Obamacare and they had a catastrophe. And so then, oh, Obamacare is so great. But there are better ways that this could be done. And this then brings me also to how I am frustrated. Republicans have not executed on this one. They have not done what they needed to do with repeal and replace. We were promised repeal and replace. That is not what we were given. We were told, right, we were told that if we were able to um, get a Republican in the White House and get a majority in the House and the Senate, that they would repeal, and they didn't do it. And there's no way around that. And I know we could talk about how, you know, John McCain and the, you know, the backstabbing and all this, but it, it didn't happen. And one of my problems for the 2020 election is going to be that there were opportunities especially in those first you know six to nine months when trump was just maga maga all up in this place there were opportunities for the republican party for the republican congress to take real action on this stuff and they just didn't get it done they just didn't get it done now we have to live with that and deal with that now i i think that if they have a plan what we really need let's be honest we need trump care I mean, we need a a holistic, 
replacement plan that people understand and that is sold to people because all the Democrats did originally with Obamacare was, oh, it's pre-existing conditions and you can stay on your parents' health insurance through 26. That was how they sold it to people, especially to younger people who get the worst part of the Obamacare deal. Young people have the worst because they're just subsidizing older, sicker people. And that's the, the plan is specifically set up that way. Uh, but that was a it was a compelling sales pitch. And that's all they needed, a compelling sales pitch. So we need a compelling sales pitch on the right. I mean, if Trump wants the Republican Party to be the party of health care, what does that mean for us? What are we selling to our fellow Americans and how will we make health care better? Yeah, prescription drug prices. They've been doing that stuff. That's good. What else is there, though? Trump needs to drill down into the details. Morning coffee is an American institution. That's why when it comes to starting my day, I reach for the most American coffee on the market, Black Rifle Coffee. This is how I get every day started. It's how I get my energy going, and it just tastes so delicious. Black Rifle Coffee should replace whatever other coffee you're drinking out there. If you're not already on the Black Rifle Coffee Club, I'm telling you, you need to join. It makes it so easy. They'll ship the coffee right to your door, and they'll ship it month after month, and you'll be supporting a company that is founded by special operations veterans that is really into delicious, high-quality coffee, and you're just going to love everything they do, the branding, the T-shirts, everything. While liberals threaten to further tax your hard-earned money with their socialism, Black Rifle Coffee is fueling the fight for freedom by upping their offer to 20% off your first purchase. Take advantage by visiting BlackRifleCoffee.com buck and receive 20% off your order. Again, that's BlackRifleCoffee.com buck for 20% off BlackRifleCoffee.com buck. On Monday and Tuesday, CBP started the day with over 12,000 migrants in our custody. As of this morning, that number was 13,400. A high number for us is 4,000. A crisis level is 6,000. On Monday, we saw the highest total of apprehensions and encounters in over a decade, with 4,000 migrants either apprehended or encountered at ports of entry in a single day. Yesterday, we broke the record again with 4,117. 4,100 people yesterday brought into CBP custody. Does anyone want to take the position that this isn't a crisis? Does anyone really want to have that debate, have that argument with me? I mean, I'm just curious. I'd, I'd like to know who who thinks who thinks that that is reasonable at this point? Who, who thinks that the oh, yeah, the, the way that we should talk about what's going on at the southern border is to just continue to downplay it. The border is effectively open. This is on President Trump's watch. I don't know who or what I have to do here to get more attention from the people that can do something about it. And I am reaching out to the White House. I am actually trying to get uh, some focus on this issue because this is it's going to be worse. What did I tell you last month? It's going to get worse. All right. I, I do not pretend to be Nostradamus. I just understand the reality of what's happening there and the trajectory and the politics surrounding all of it. And, you know, there's a part of me that says, well, maybe going into 2020, you're going to have at least some understanding from people of the fact that if we don't get a handle on this thing soon, it's going to overwhelm the system. And we are, we are going to have to deal with this as, as a true crisis in this country for our uh, for the uh, overwhelmed public 
school system we're going to have in some places, for the the hospital visits, I mean, the bills. We're talking about hundreds of thousands, now going up to a million people who are, who are not going to be fully legally in the country, but are going to be acting like, you know, or are going to be showing up and demanding services and they're going to need things. They're human beings. They're going to need help. A million people is what we're on on uh, track for this year. You know, 6,000 migrants in custody, he says, is a crisis. They've got over double that as of, as of today. Um, it's, my friends, this, this is out of control. This is a true crisis. This needs, there needs to be a change here. Congress has to act. They have to do something to address what's going on here. You know, El Paso Border Patrol waited on this. They said, look, this is, you know, this is what's going on. They're, they're just coming right across now, and we're, we're overwhelmed. Play two. The moment they've crossed the center of that Rio Grande, they have violated our law, and they've entered the country illegally. We have an obligation to interdict anybody or anything that crosses outside of port of entry. Yeah, that's the law. You know, there are all these people that during the course of the investigation into Russia collusion that would fall on uh, or their fallback position was the law is the law. You know, if, if you lied, even if you lied about something very unimportant that nobody cares about, the law is the law, sir. And we cannot make, you know, we cannot make exceptions for people. We cannot allow them to get away with breaking the law. Okay. Well, what happened to that when it comes to this issue of immigration? If, if our laws on immigration, and this is really the challenge that I think should be posed to Democrats, if the immigration laws we have are unfair and unjust, if they are, if they're just inherently wrong, then Congress, and at least the Democrats in Congress who take that position, they have an obligation an absolute obligation to repeal the immigration laws that we currently have and just say we are going to be an open border society and then pass laws about how you got to, you know, check in really quickly so people know that you're coming in or, you know, and we'll tax. They're going to want to tax things. They're going to, you know, they're, they're, that's the thing. The, the open borders left doesn't want people to just they don't just want the free flow of people and goods because they want to be able to tax and they want to control they want to count the individuals coming in they want the ability to sort and assess the people that are coming into this country so don't don't think that it's going to be just a total free-for-all um, although i'm sure there are some of the left who believe that would be fine too oh there's no worries about terrorism or national security you know just let anybody in the country who wants to come into the country no problem uh, there's no, there's not a single person who has been able to explain to me how this situation is going to be dealt with and how this is going to get any better. And a wall does not fix this. A wall helps maybe a little bit, and it would help with the broader problem of illegal crossings into this country. But the people that are showing up right now in El Paso, where I'm going tonight, the people who are showing up there, the migrants, these uh, these illegal aliens, they are seeking out U.S. authorities to turn themselves in. They are not hiding in the shadows here. They're, they're not trying to avoid detection. They're showing up and saying, here I am. I want my hot meal and please process me and let me free in the United States. 
And, oh, I have a credible fear of violence in my home country because of all the gangs. Uh, well, if, if, if you can have a credible fear of gang violence in Honduras, and that means you can stay in the United States, the entire country of Honduras, because how, how do you prove that? How do you prove that there's a gang on your block that threatens you and that you know, we, we could have two or three million Hondurans showing up here saying that? Why do we even have a legal immigration system if we're going to continue with this farce as it is at our southern border? What's the point? Why have any of these laws? Why not? Why not just say, OK, you know what? Whoever gets here gets here. I mean, this is out of control. And the Democrats seem to have no they have no problem with this whatsoever. I mean, you, you ne I never hear Democrats say, wow, you got 100,000. They keep saying people are allowed to claim asylum. OK. But you know what else people are allowed to be deported when they don't get asylum and to be prosecuted for lying to federal authorities, which every person who is lying to Border Patrol and lying to Immigration and Customs Enforcement, they're violating that law. Same federal law that is used to prosecute Papadopoulos and Manafort, you know, cannot lie to federal officers in the in the midst of of their duties and, you know, on a material issue. That's never because the US, uh, AUSA is along the southern border would tell you if illegal aliens are prosecuted for lying to authorities, that's the only case that they'd have time to prosecute because they're lying all the time, lying about all kinds of stuff, lying about who's in their family, why they're coming into the country. What? So th this is a, a crisis of lawlessness. And, you know, while while we're shifting focus right now, I mean, the, the Trump administration it wants to talk about about health care. And look, I, I think health care is very important. And it's why I spend time on this show discussing it. I also think it's where Democrats believe they think Medicare for all is going to deliver them to the promised land on the 2020 election. That's their plan. They think that Medicare for all is going to is the ace up the sleeve that lets them win the win the whole thing. I really believe that. So we we need to get our act together on the right with, well, not only is Obamacare bad, what are we going to do? What are we going to replace it with? What do we do that's better than Obamacare? What is our response that going to be? It can't be some, oh, you know, maybe this and maybe that. And I don't really, you know, it has to be something real. It has to be something substantial. But it won't even matter what we do on Obamacare if we don't get the border under control. If we do not secure our southern border, our country is going to slip away from us, the country that we know. Because you if you change the demographics of a country fast enough, if you change the respect for the rule of law in that country fast enough, and the, the traditions and, and beliefs and, you know, all, all of that changes with, with the migration of people, uh, this place will start to feel very, very different. And politically, it will definitely be different. Right? I mean, if, if you have a few uh, a few million a year coming to this country who are all coming from one part of the world and are going to tend to be invested in a large state apparatus for state government support, the, Dem the Republican Party is done. And that's the plan here. That is the plan. We'll be right back. Facebook now has vowed to block white nationalism and separatism on its site. Uh, previously, a social media giant, according to the uh, Wall Street Journal here, was only blocking support for white supremacy. This is one of these 
at first glance, okay, I I think that uh, white nationalism, white separatism are are stupid and and odious ideologies. So how how could anybody really have a a problem with this, right? That's the way that you're usually going to get a first reaction to this or that that's i think for most people going to be their 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 immediate takeaway all right so facebook is we don't want them to have you know jihadist propaganda online we don't want them to have uh you know this kind of stuff either um but but here's the here's the problem uh the problem is that facebook is going to go well beyond the boundaries of just explicit white supremacy. Uh, this all you have to do is look at how these social media platforms have enacted in the past uh, their different bans and their different restrictions on things. And and I can assure you that Facebook is very much going to uh, use this. And, and whether you know, I can't tell you if it's intentional or not that they're going to abuse this this privilege i i can't tell you if that's something that they necessarily are are going to uh to do you know that they're going to use their editorial uh their their editorial ability purposefully to try and go after non-white supremacist speech or but but what ends up happening here inevitably is that the really really bad stuff they say they're going to get starts creeping into other stuff too like for example if you're a group that is opposed to the mass immigration that is happening at our southern border. If, if you're a group that falls into that category, um, all it takes is for someone like the Southern Poverty Law Center, for example, which we're, we'll talk about later on the show. I've got an update for you on what's, what was really going on over there. Another massive overfunded left-wing scam exposed. But uh, the, the, the Southern Poverty Law Center, for example... Uh, can put that you as a immigrant or an immigration opponent that you are somebody who is uh, dabbling in white nationalism or uh, or whatever it may be. White nationalism is probably the main one that they'd go for. And now all of a sudden you're you're banned from Facebook. But are you told that you're banned or are you going to be shadow banned? Are you going is your account going to be eliminated if you're just somebody who for whatever reason is singled out in this way? Or are you going to uh just have your stuff not appear in the feed. Do you have a right to even know that? Facebook's a private company. They can decide what feed goes where and who sees what, right? They have a tremendous amount of power. And, you know, this this comes at a time when the politics are particularly hot right now around this issue. Here's what this piece, the Wall Street Journal says. Facebook has been under fire globally for failing to take sufficient action against hate speech and misinformation on its site. Pressure on Facebook is mounting following a live stream of the New Zealand mosque massacre, which prompted the country's prime minister to call for overhauling New Zealand's social media laws. Social media giant previously only restricted users from supporting white supremacy. The company said now it will take uh, after talks with academics and civil groups it is determined white nationalism and separatism can't be separated from white supremacy and other hate groups. So white nationalism is now going to be banned officially from Facebook's platform. But I again, I, I, I think white nationalism uh, is a, a stupid and odious ideology. But what 
is going to qualify for the left as white nationalism. Look at the way the left uses the term white supremacy now. They will talk about our criminal justice system as institutionalized white supremacy. White supremacy has been deployed as a term to describe far more than what most of us think of, which is, you know, guys who are Aryan nation, neo-Nazis with, you know, tattoos on their faces. And people think of white supremacy and they think of something very different than that. They tend to think of, uh, or rather people talk about white supremacy now on the left and they think of institutional oppression. That's now white supremacy. Uh, They think of organizations that don't explicitly violate the law and don't in their charter or in their actions endorse anything that is white supremacist. But if the outcome, again, going back to our immigration restriction discussion, if the outcome is that a disproportionate effect falls upon non-white individuals, they call that white supremacy. So the way that they expand definitions and the way that they play with these words, there's, in my mind, no doubt whatsoever that you will see accusations of of white supremacy on Facebook for things that are clearly not about white supremacy. And if you think that I'm getting too far ahead of this, all you have to do is think back to things like learn to code, learn to code would get you banned from Twitter for a while if you said learn to code. Why? Because the people who work at Twitter are friends with a lot of journo types, and those journo types don't like it when people make fun of them when they lose their jobs. Meanwhile, journalists love to write these kind of, yeah, you know, this industry's dying, but, you know, they should learn to code in another industry. Uh, They should learn how to be computer programmers. That was why the whole learn to code thing came about. But that could get you banned from Twitter uh, dead naming somebody can get you banned from Twitter. Misgendering somebody. So if someone is actually fe- uh, someone's actually male and you refer to that person as a he instead of a she, that can get sanctions uh, against you on on Twitter. I think on Facebook as well. So though that that's now a form of of hate speech. Let's be very clear. I mean, this whole white supremacy conversation is is an extension in the context of the social media platforms. It's really an extension of the hate speech conversation, which is just they call hate speech whatever they don't like. The things that they don't like are hate speech. That is the approach that the left takes on all of this. Uh, They keep changing the boundaries, changing the definitions so that there's not any good faith, okay, this does cross the line. It's, oh, no, no, Can can the left make the case that something crosses the line just in order to silence somebody, to get a boycott going? to, uh, you know, that's that's where this all goes. I mean, that's what ends up happening here. Um, they're just going to they're going to weaponize this against the other side, which is why the left is obsessed with speech restriction, because they want to maintain the power that they have in society and they don't want ideas out there that they don't like. So they look at the very, very worst ideas, say, well, we need authority to regulate that. And they take it for themselves, whether it's private company or in the government side now with hate speech laws. And then they start expanding. Well, okay, it's not just the worst stuff. It's the bad stuff. And then it's also stuff that we think is really mean. Wait, really mean isn't hate speech, right? There's, there's a difference there, isn't it? Isn't there supposed to be some uh, call to violence and some inherent dehumanization? And isn't that what hate speech is all about? That's explicitly racial in, in, in tone and context. And 
oh no, it's just things the left doesn't like. This is where this is all heading. And this is has enormous implications for our national political conversations. Uh, censorship on social media platforms is the free speech fight of the future. So wait a second. Are you telling me that Rachel Maddow's ratings bonanza is all over over at MSNBC? That R- R- Rachel Maddow, who uh, perpetuated this fraud of a story about Russia collusion, she, she's having a little bit of a tough time now? Oh, no. We're supposed to feel sorry for this situation? Give me a break. This is not even close to the kind of consequences that should happen. I mean, professional consequences that should happen to people who were um, part of this of this hoax. I mean, they should lo- they should lose credibility. If you can't lose credibility, if you're Rachel Maddow over at MSNBC, if you can't lose credibility for doing a show night in and night out based upon a false premise that you were a very large part of perpetuating. If you won't lose credibility over that, you don't lose credibility over anything. There's nothing you're going to lose credibility over, right? You're just, you have a built-in audience of like trained seals that don't care what you say. They just want to hear you say something. For those of you who are wondering how big of a uh, fall down we're talking about here, Maddow has had either the number one or number two rated cable news program for really the last certainly the last year or so and on monday it was down five hundred thousand total viewers now a lot of especially the primetime cable views uh, cable news viewing audience they tend to be repeat viewers they tend to be people who come back and who you know you can kind of count on and she lost about a half a million of them on Monday. Now, will a lot of them come back? I'm I'm pretty sure that they will, right? But is MSNBC going to be what it was? I mean, there were a lot of people who built careers on this lie. I mean, they they advanced themselves. I I had some guy that who wrote a book called uh, Proof of Collusion. Some professor from a you know like a fifth tier school up in New Hampshire somewhere. And I, I offered, I reached out to him on, on Twitter. I said, you know, why don't we debate this issue publicly? Uh, Dave Rubin will put us on his show and we can do it there. And this guy's like, I would never even talk to you. The fact that you even think that this is not real. This was a few weeks ago. He got all huffy. I'm a best-selling author on the issue of collusion and the proof of collusion. I mean, this guy's an idiot. Yeah, proof of collusion. Good job with that, buddy. How exactly is there proof of collusion now? You know, there has to be some consequence for being wrong. You know, I don't want this to be like the Wall Street bailout situation where banks all of a sudden, courtesy of the taxpayer and the very politically connected banks, that is, uh, all of a sudden it doesn't matter that they were wrong. No, it needs to matter. It needs to matter that they were wrong. Um, I know that Trump has got a he's got a rally coming up in what is it in Michigan in a. Is that is that today? Uh, oh no, tomorrow night. Yeah, he's got a rally in Michigan tomorrow night. That will be interesting to be sure. I mean, I I'm gonna want to see that, right? I mean, Trump unleashed up in Michigan, just letting it rip on this week. Um, and there's rumors now that he may in fact attend the White House correspondence dinner, 
which I, I have already said I will not go to the White House Correspondents' Dinner. I, I'm not attending. I have no interest. It's not something that I'm in, in any way. Uh, I, I do not want any part of that. I think the White House Correspondents' Dinner is all about a lot of self-congratulation and media navel-gazing, and I don't like the people in general who are there. Uh, yeah, I know. That's right. I work in media, but I'm not particularly fond of people in the media. Uh, I like my fellow conservatives in media, and I like some libs, but a lot of libs I don't. But Trump may go there, and that would be really interesting. Uh, it would be really interesting to see Trump get up there on stage and just rip into a press corps that, I mean, you know, Rachel Maddow's a fraud. I mean, we, we, need, to, we need to say this. I mean, she's a fraud. She did what she had to do, she thought, or she did what she wanted to do in order to promote the biggest possible ratings. And she ran with this scandal and, you know, night in and night out, you know, just tapping a little pencil on the table and, you know, mm, we're getting closer and closer to Russian collusion. I mean, they put people like Malcolm Nance on TV. Malcolm Nance does not know what the heck he's talking about. I've seen this guy on TV many times. He inflates both what he did and his importance in the community that I come from, the Intel community, and he's just full of it and kind of holds himself up as this really pompous, super smart guy in this issue and does not know what the heck he's talking about. Obviously, we know now the former CIA director, people say, Buck, you were never CIA director. Yeah, but I'm smarter than John Brennan, folks. I, I, can, I can assure you of that, right? Uh, you can trust my judgment a lot more than you can trust, trust John Brennan's. You know, he, he was like the provost of the university and, and I was a straight A student. You know, it does just because he's the provost doesn't mean he knows anything. Uh, but, you, you know, all these different people, there there needs to be. I mean, the, the public, if the public wants to take itself and its taste seriously on the left. I mean, I know that you don't need to hear this, right? I mean, how many of you watch watch Maddow's show? I'm, I'm guessing not very many, but there does need to be a, a public accounting for what's gone on here and people do need to be held to account because it was an appalling disgrace and people were completely out of line there were real consequences to this and there are also a lot of people who were you know benefiting from this substantially i mean there are people who were very clearly uh, able to use this to their professional advantage and that's not okay that's not okay Maddow down a half a million viewers. I want to see what the ratings are now for the rest of the month on MSNBC. H how could you watch MSNBC? Let me tell you this. If if some of the biggest names on the right who were big defenders of this, if it turned out that what the left said was true and that Trump had ordered uh, a, a criminal conspiracy with the Russians, I, I wouldn't be OK with I would be calling for people to be off the air. I'd be saying that saying that person cannot be trusted anymore. And that's just reality. Oh, you know. Me, myself, I would have to make some some uh, some penance if I had been wrong. But I was right. And I was right all along, as were you. So the other side should not be allowed to just escape without without any consequences on this. And I, I just think that the I saw this on the um, uh, on the Drudge Report that the media gold rush for the far left is now over. Well, thank heavens for that. Right. The media gold rush is over. It should be over. And I think it's for the best for all of us that they're no longer able to um, do what they have been doing, which is just throw gasoline on this fire of Russia collusion 
with in the most reckless fashion. We've played all these compilations and montages and clips for you this week. And, you know, you, you know, it's real. You know that these individuals, these people who are, you know, mega stars at these different networks were just exploiting this whole thing. Absolutely exploiting it. And Maddow is at the top of the list. She should be considered a joke. But MSNBC is going to keep her because she's their biggest earner. It's all that the end of the day, that's all that really matters to them. Who brings in the cash? It's not about journalistic integrity. That's a joke. I don't care about journalistic integrity. Let's not let's not be silly. It's about who brings in the cash. Maddow brings in the cash for them. Maybe not as much now as before, but these people are frauds, my friends. Don't forget it. Don't you just love it when you find a $100 bill inside a jacket you haven't used for ages? It's a great feeling, right? Well, imagine finding hundreds of dollars in the papers that are sitting in your filing cabinet or in those boxes in your attic. You know, from that old 401k paperwork from the job before last, the one you forgot about. While that money's just sitting there gathering dust, it could be working much harder for you in a precious metals IRA. My friends at Noble Gold can see if you qualify and they'll do all the heavy lifting for you. Could make you thousands and cost you nothing. Give Noble Gold a call at 877-646-5347 or text my name, Buck, that's B-U-C-K, to 511-511 and receive their free investor's guide. Plus, for all qualified IRAs above $20,000, they'll include a complimentary rare graded Morgan Silver Dollar valued at $150. Go to noblegoldinvestments.com or text Buck to 511-511. Individual results may vary. Invest wisely. Standard tax rates may apply. I don't think we need different values. I believe in the values of this party. That's good. That's right. But I do believe we could adjust the way we talk about it just a little bit. And it's one of the reasons why you always hear the word freedom on my lips. We've allowed our conservative friends to get a monopoly on the idea of freedom. Now, they care about freedom. Right. But they care about a very specific kind of freedom. Yeah. Freedom from. <laughs> freedom from regulation. As though government were the only thing that can make us unfree. All right. But that's not true, is it? We know that your neighbor can make you unfree. Your cable company can make you if they're telling you who you ought to marry, your county court can make you unfriendly. Mayor Pete Buttigieg, and those of you who live in Indiana, the uh, Fort Wayne Wowo audience out there, you're probably going to have to correct my pronunciation of this one, so you can let me know. But Mayor Pete Buttigieg is somebody who is finally starting to get a little bit of traction in this Democrat primary, which is interesting to me. Um, he is often being compared to Beto O'Rourke because they're both young, telegenic, uh, charismatic guys. So that, uh, there's a, there's some superficial similarities, but, but I would say that Buttigieg is actually based on on his background. I, I, many of you in the Indiana area, because he's South Bend mayor, are going to know more about what he's like on policy. And I'm going to have to dig into that a bit more. But on a resume only, uh, in a resume only way, Buttigieg is much more impressive than Beto O'Rourke. And that makes me think that maybe if he takes Beto's lane here, you know, it has been thought for a while that the big, the big three, so to speak, in this whole process are going to be 
uh, Beto, Biden, and Bernie. Those are the three Bs. Uh, maybe it's going to be Biden, Bernie, and Buttigieg. Uh, Buttigieg, or Mayor Pete, as it maybe is easier to say, is a Rhodes Scholar, which I'm going to tell you this, and people are going to say, Buck, come on. It's true, though. Being a Rhodes Scholar is a very political process, and it depends on where you are in the country. It's harder to be a Rhodes Scholar, more competitive to be a Rhodes Scholar from some places than others. It's just the truth. And the whole Rhodes process is fraught with uh, with political decision making. I mean, there's no real way to determine whether somebody is that much better a student or more deserving of the Rhodes program than than many other people. So trust me, there's all kinds of favoritism and horse trading and nonsense that goes on. I have a, a few friends who have been Rhodes Scholars, so I'm just telling you the truth. Um, but he's a Rhodes Scholar, which people get very impressed by. Uh, keep in mind, so was Ronan Farrow. Hey, Ronan Farrow. I sound like Brian Stelter, except Brian Stelter looks like me, but after some steroids. Uh, and so if you think Ronan Farrow is super impressive on, on television and on media, um, that's, that's up to you. But he's also a former, uh, Buttigieg is a former uh, army officer. I believe he served in Afghanistan. So uh, props and respect to him for that. You know, that's something that is not about politics. It's just about the experience and the service to his country. And that makes him, to me, somebody who is more formidable in many ways than Beto. Beto is just all flash, no substance. Mayor Pete, from a Democrat perspective, has got some substance. And I'm starting to see people say that he's got a little bit of flash, too. I This is going to sound really silly and 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 fine but i just got to tell you I, I do think it's an issue for him that his name is so hard to pronounce people don't really like really difficult to pronounce names in politics but we'll see um i've been told it's boot edge edge is the way to say Buttigieg. so he's he's making this run why am i focusing on him right now though one is because he might take the beto lane so he might be a guy that we see a lot more of and i give credit to my uh Wo-Wo land listeners out in Fort Wayne, Indiana, because some of you told me last year uh, that this is a guy, he's going to run for president, he's very progressive, um, he's obviously got a lot of credibility on the left for a bunch of reasons, he brings the diversity of being part of the LGBTQ community to the table, so there's a lot about him that, you know, you were already telling me you add this together and you've got somebody who's going to run. I was like, come on, some mayor from a pretty small city. That seems like a long shot. Well, here we are. Here we are. Um, he, he may be less of a long shot than many of us uh, outside of Indiana had anticipated. But I, his opening sound bite there, which I, I know now is probably getting a little you've probably forgotten some of it, where he's talking about how we need to redefine freedom. I thought that was very interesting because it was a real window into a few ways that progressives play the game. I mean, there were some things that he said and did there that are are illuminating when it comes to what is it that progressives really do and and how do they think of themselves. Um, For one, the focus on definitional change as a means of getting advantage in an argument is essential. This is how we've gone from illegal alien to illegal immigrant to undocumented immigrant to now just undocumented person. Uh, they, they change the language because it is very important 
not just in, in the course of winning debates, but also when people use certain words to describe certain things, they are inclined to think about them in a specific way. They're inclined to take certain conclusions from that. And, and that's something the left does very, very well. They control the language. They control the way we discuss these matters and these issues. And so that's why saying that they want to take freedom, they've taken the word liberal and completely flipped it upside down. And now we have to refer to the left in, in American political discourse as liberals when they are anti-liberal. We conservatives are the classical liberals, believe in individual human liberty and the state's obligation to preserve and defend that. They believe in a collective liberty of sorts, which is what he started to get into here with this freedom from, right? When, when he says... That, yeah, of course, he goes right for regulation. But why shouldn't we want freedom from from undue regulation? Why, why shouldn't we want the government less involved? History shows us that the government is not a very efficient manager of the day to day tasks of human beings. The government does not excel at running economies, and it certainly doesn't excel at running your life. And that there are basic guidelines that we agree on in society doesn't mean that there should be endless guidelines. But but he also said that you you aren't free, for example, if a county clerk. Well, in that case, it sounds to me like he's saying, yeah, the government can be it can infringe upon your freedom. So he you know, he moved into into the territory of, I think, refuting really his own point that the government is the threat to your freedom. And, and that is the case. Uh, the government is the greatest threat to your freedom. It is very unlikely that any foreign country is going to show up and try to conquer and enslave you in your lifetime. Listen to this. That's very, very unlikely. Uh, what is not entirely unlikely is that our government will increasingly overstep its bounds and become the Leviathan that we've all been war warned about for so long, stretching all the way back to the founding and that it will be too late. That is a much more realistic scenario than all of a sudden you have to start learning Korean because North Korea invades and takes us over or China or you name it. Uh, but freedom from is something the left also really believes in because they think that there should be freedom from frustration, freedom from failure, freedom from harm. Um, and those are all very broad concepts you might think to yourself well how's that supposed to work oh well the government's going to protect you from all that stuff don't you see the government's going to be the one that steps in and makes sure that you don't have to deal with these uh these difficult problems these these issues uh that present themselves to you as just a function of you know day-to-day -day life so that's a big lie it's one you i think we ought to be very aware of is that you know the government is not You've heard me say it before, the government is not your friend. Government's not there to give you hugs and it's not there to make you free from sadness and difficulty and challenge. The government's supposed to allow you to embrace your own sadness, difficulty and challenges on your own and not get in your way. That is when we're talking about politics, what freedom is all about. And for Mayor Pete Buttigieg to start the conversation about changing how we think of freedom to fit the statist progressive left's approach, uh, we're not going to let him get away with that team. Not anytime soon. We'll be right back. There's only one dual certified veteran owned background investigation and vetting company out there, and it is Global Verification Network. 
for those of you who either work in the HR department of a company or have your own company, I'm telling you, background checks are essential and you want to work with the best company that will get them done efficiently and will tailor their program and how they do it to your needs. So whatever size company you are, from a startup all the way up to a Fortune 100, Global Verification Network can come up with all of your solutions. And whatever business intelligence and vetting you need, they can work with you on that too. They are absolute pros. I know the CEO. I trust him. You can trust him too. Go to mygvn.com. Again, that's mygvn.com or call Global Verification Network at 877-695-1179, 877-695-1179. Team, I just wanted to follow up on a story that I, I mentioned here on the show a, a few weeks back about the Southern Poverty Law Center. And how the uh, the founder of the Southern Poverty Law Center, um, Morris Dees, was summarily dismissed on March 14th. And just based on the way that they wrote about how he was sent packing, I, I had a feeling, you will recall, you can always go back and check me on these things. I had a feeling that... Mr. Dees may have had something along the lines of a Me Too problem. Uh, maybe Mr. Dees was a little bit too friendly, and, and he was a, a, an older an older man. Uh, he was too friendly with some of the younger female staff who went to work for him. And sure enough, that now has been reported as the case, that it was widely known that Dees was very... Uh, aggressive in his hitting on young female staff. Um, Mr. Dees didn't stop to think maybe that these women should not be hit on and that it's inappropriate for a man of his age to be uh, making overtures toward women in their in their 20s. Uh, this was when remember when he when he, this guy got fired. The statement that they released said the following, quote, when one of our own fails to meet those standards, no matter his or her role in the organization, we take it seriously and must take appropriate action. And they immediately scrubbed him, Mr. D's, from the SPLC website. Now, now this is interesting for a, a number of reasons. One is, yeah, I could, I was right. I mean, I, I had intonated on the show or uh, I, I had guessed on the show that it was a Me Too situation that got this guy canned. Although apparently there were other things too. He, uh, they, the Southern Poverty Law Center, for all of its talk about fighting white nationalists and fighting for for justice for oppressed minorities, uh, wasn't very good on diversity in its own ranks. And this piece in in the New Yorker, the reckoning of Morris Dees and the Southern Poverty Law Center that I read, uh, was quite interesting. Because uh, it goes into how really the Southern Poverty Law Center is yet another one of these institutions that maybe it started out as one thing, but over the course of time, because it is a it is a left wing organization, it became a kind of con. Uh, it became a massively overfunded. I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars. It has. A, an enormous, I've never seen it or been to it, but I was, I've read the descriptions of it, enormous glass and steel structure down in uh, Alabama that people said looks like the Southern Poverty Death Star or something like that. Uh, so they have all of this money and they're very prolific at fundraising. 
And what this really became was media matters with a better uh, better story, with a kind of better institutional pedigree behind it. That's all the Southern Poverty Law Center had become. It was a group that would be used to weaponize uh, the legacy of fighting for civil rights against, in some cases, mainstream conservatives or Muslims like Majid Nawaz. I mean, they had, they had to pay out millions of dollars in settlements to Majid Nawaz, for example. So, yeah, do they do they sue actual white nationalists and go after Aryan Nation people and all that? Sure, they they do some of that, too. I'm not saying that's the only thing that they did, but the organization had clearly become a uh, cash cow for a lot of people who were involved in it. And it's just yet again, one of these places that for years I've been saying the Southern Poverty Law Center, you know, you, you, you just read their publications, you see some of the stuff they put out there, and it's very obviously left wing. It's not about combating hate so much as it is about advancing the cause of the left, which sometimes includes combating hate, but sometimes it includes writing articles and, and putting people on lists who don't belong on them because they're your political enemies. And that's what the Southern Poverty Law Center had turned into. And, and, and some of its uh, stuff that it would, it would publish about, you know, right-wing extremism and the rise of right-wing nationalism was just was hyperbolic, uh, poorly sourced, if sourced at all, and was meant to create this perception because it's good for business of America as this very racist country. And there's so much racism in America. And, you know, people also were, were writing articles like that. And I, I didn't get to them here on the show. But after the terrible shooting in New Zealand in, in the mosque with that uh, that shooter who killed 50 people, and there were people saying that, well, you know, America, because a lot of lefties in, in America like to use any opportunity to bash this country. They're saying, you know, America exports its racism to the rest of the world. This is something that you will hear, that, that the white nationalist ideology of America has now infected other places because America is so racist. This has become a more widespread belief on the left. And anyone who spent time outside of America knows that racism in different forms is all over the place. There is lots of non-white racism in the world, which is a shock to so many liberals. I know. What do you mean? There's the only but but, you know, I have a chart and it shows that, you know, white males are the, the bad people and then everybody else is oppressed. No, that's not the case in a lot of countries where there is uh, racism based upon the the within that ethnic subgroup, the darkness of one's skin, um, the racism against different ethnicities within a, within a country. Uh, I can tell you that the Middle East, for example, is notorious for anti-African racism. Uh, and, and within the Islamic world, there's a tremendous amount of, of anti-black racism that exists. And, it, you know, it, 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 you go to countries in East Asia and there's racism against people from anywhere that's not that country in East Asia, particularly a country like Japan. So there's racism all over the world, but it's good for business for some people in this country to try and convince as many people as possible that America is uniquely and and disgustingly racist. And it's just not true. And the Southern Poverty Law Center had become one of those organizations. I can't speak to what it was decades ago. I only know what it's been for the last 10 years that I've that I've been paying attention. And I know that its publications are not to be taken 
uh, at face value all the time. There's a lot of politics behind what they do. And there's also internally a, a weird kind of cult of the two top guys who are both white males, you know, both the, the top of the oppression pyramid and the left just you see this time and again, there are all these people who are supposed to be warriors for social justice, warriors for equality and 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 for diversity. But in their own lives, they want to be able to you know grab at women without any without any issues coming up for them. And they want to be super rich and not have to live by the rules that the rest of us do. This is the hypocrisy that is one of the most appealing components of being a Democrat, being a leftist, is that if you subscribe to their ideology, you get the equivalent of indulgences in the old Catholic Church, right? You, you, you can get away with stuff. Uh, apparently, Morris Deeds couldn't get away with all this stuff, and that's why they booted him. We will uh, talk a little bit here about just a, a press conference that happened today at the border to set up my border trip starting tomorrow, and then we'll do roll call. So I'll be right back. Customs and Border Patrol had a press conference today didn't get nearly the attention that it should have. I'm hoping to be a part of shifting the focus here nationally, if I can, to what's going on at the border. But everything that I had assumed was going to be the case, all of my expectations as I am sitting here with my my bags packed to get down to El Paso and see what's going on for myself and spend time with Border Patrol, uh, all of my expectations have come true. Uh, And they are overwhelmed. The situation at the border is dire. Uh, They will have over 100,000 illegal and inadmissible crossings for the month of March. That puts us in the same territory as we were in the early 2000s, which was an absolute peak for for crossings. Uh, The only time where there may have been more crossings was the 1990s. But in the 1990s, a lot of the people who were crossing because the border was so open in some places were going back and forth. And there were far more immediate detentions and removals because almost all of the illegal traffic was Mexican nationals. Now there are substantial changes to this population that's at the southern border uh, compared to that group of Mexican, those groups of Mexican nationals in the 90s and the early 2000s. These are mostly Central American migrants and they understand what the rules are. They are showing up. They've been told by the coyotes and the smugglers that they don't have to try to get around Border Patrol, the family units. They just need to be taken to Border Patrol. They surrender themselves. They claim that they have credible fear. And now Border Patrol is just letting them go, essentially, uh, letting them into the interior of the United States. Immigrations and Customs Enforcement uh, can barely process them. You had... Uh, Customs and Border Patrol today say that they're taking people off of other missions on the border, like drug interdiction, stopping cartel smuggling, including at ports of entry, by the way, to deal with the health and uh, the the immediate health and physical uh, safety risks of some of these migrants who are showing up. There's a 2,500 person caravan that is making its way up from Mexico, a huge group that is going to show up and and likely surrender itself. Uh, my friends, this is not going to get better. Uh, we, are, we are in the middle of what is a mass migration 
from Central America into the United States, and we do not have the political will or the legal framework right now to stop it. We are importing hundreds of thousands of people that are not being brought into this country for family reunification, and they're certainly not being brought into this country for their skills and what they will contribute to the economy. This is a massive exploitation of the system. Democrats are all in favor of this. They will not speak honestly about it. But the truth is that if the Democrats get their way, they just want this to continue. They view this as a step to enlarging the welfare state. They think that we'll be near open border status. uh, And especially if the next president comes along and is a Democrat, which we always have to take that possibility seriously, they will push for amnesty, and that amnesty push is going to uh, result in the, the death of the Republican Party if it is successful. You will not have a party devoted to limited government, conservatism, and rule of law in this country if amnesty goes through. You will have America go the way of Europe with a social welfare state that is the single unifying characteristic of this country, and also culturally, linguistically, uh, in terms of our traditions, that's going to put a lot of strain on this country as well. But I'm going to tell you everything I can as soon as I get down there and spend the day with Border Patrol. And, and we're really going to try to get a lot of frontline information out to you. So I'll be talking to you from El Paso, Texas tomorrow. And uh, team, we'll hit roll call in just a moment. Ain't no party like a team buck party because a team buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. That's right, Roll Call. Before I head on down to the border, everybody, last Roll Call from D.C. for a few days. I'll be doing the show from El Paso, where the uh, migrant crisis is at a a fever pitch right now. I'll be doing the show from down there, bringing you some insights. And then Friday, I believe we have the godfather Michael Pelka in for me as I make my way back into Swamp Central. That is the plan. So let's see if we can stick to it and keep it crack-a-lackin'. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton if you want to send me your thoughts, your feelings, your witty, whimsical observations on life, all all that good stuff. Chris, first up, wouldn't it be awesome if Trump sued Jussie Smollett for using his copyright MAGA to ruin him? Uh, Chris, I appreciate the creativity in what you're saying. I do not understand exactly what you are trying to say, though. So thank you for writing it. Um, I guess that would be awesome. I don't think that the Trump could do that, though. But thank you. Dwayne, we know the earth isn't flat. If it were, the Democrats would have fallen off the left edge by now. Boom, boom. Yeah, Dwayne. You go, Dwayne. You don't let anybody tell you your jokes aren't fierce. Your jokes are fierce. I enjoyed that one. Uh, Kimberly. Buck, I've not heard anyone in this fake Russia mess discuss John Roberts. 
If he is over FISA court judges, is it possible he is in on this too? Would just like your thoughts, as my gut's telling me he's compromised all the way back to the Obamacare mess. Just a thought keeps running through my head. Now, Kimberly, the FISA courts are a a different uh, are in a different process, and John Roberts is not overseeing the the FISA court uh, per se. And I, I don't even know how I, I'd have to look into how oversight of FISA courts is supposed to work. Quite honestly, I think there's very little real oversight, if any. So you raise an interesting question. Remember, it's a secret court. So expectations are that there's not going to be a lot that goes on there that people get to find out about. Alice. Hey, Buck, I'm waiting for someone to make the connection that Jussie Smollett's attorney was Mark Garagos, who has been named as a co-conspirator in the Avenatti Nike extortion case. Connections? Maybe it will be old news by the time you get this, but I think it's odd that no one has mentioned it yet. By the way, I listen to your podcast every morning. You are my ride-along in my pocket while I feed my horses and do my chores. I value your perspective and opinions and love your laugh when you find something completely absurd. Thanks for all you do every day, Alice. Well, Alice, thank you so much. I appreciate the kind words. And as for uh, Mark Aragos, yeah, I meant to mention that yesterday. I, I think he's been uh, he has been dropped he was a, a CNN contributor on the legal side, and they have said, oh, I think we're going to drop this guy because he is now toxic because of what has gone on here. So there is that. David Shields High Buck, KLBJ Austin listener here. All right, David, giving a shout out to all the folks in KLBJ Austin. To be honest, Smollett getting away with a hate crime is not all that surprising given how Democrats were looking after Uh, the Trump exoneration. Liberals needed something to knock the Mueller report off the headlines, even if it's letting a man walk free after framing an entire group of people. Don't let them win. Keep talking about Trump's vindication and seeking justice for the collusion hoax. Well, David, I really appreciate that because, yeah, I I do want to make sure that we don't take the pressure off. You know, the victory lap is not over and the retribution that should be attendant the victory lap. It's just getting started, my friend. We are just we are just beginning to get that victory lap going on here. So I think it's important we keep an eye on that going forward. And uh, I'm going to continue to dig into the Russia collusion fiasco uh, from the perspective of who tried to make this coup happen and who has been held accountable and what can we do to prevent this from ever happening again. All very, very important things. Grace uh, writes, hey, this is well, it's actually Garrett from East Tennessee. Thank you for your continued coverage of the immigration crisis. I know you're possessive of your time with the team, but please do have Tom Homan on the show. I'd love to hear the two of you do a Freedom Hunt special for a whole hour segment about the issues surrounding our border. Something you have alluded to in your coverage is the incredible cost to society that such a large population of illegal immigrants presents. But I have never heard anyone paint the picture in the context of U.S. state populations. If we have a population of 20 to 22 million illegal immigrants, as the mathematicians at Yale tell us, we have a population higher than 47 individual states. Imagine adding the infrastructure of the entire state of Florida, population about 21 million across the country, and that is what we're going to do to accommodate the population increase and maintain the operation and function of our society. Paying for Florida's roads, freeways, utilities, emergency personnel, hospitals, doctors, schools, etc. 
what number the left claims for the whatever number the left claims for the legal population. Look up the U.S. populations and put it in context. Garrett. Well, Garrett, I think you've done a very good job of just that for all of us by telling us uh, exactly what's going on here and what we need to be aware of when it comes to just how much illegal immigration uh, affects this country and and what the real uh, costs of it may be. So I think you're I think you're doing a good job. I think you're all over it, my friend. So thank you so much for that. And uh, yeah, it's true, especially if the number is 22 million, as I really do believe it is, or I shouldn't say 22 million. It's over 20 was the number those Yale mathematicians came up with. I have no faith whatsoever that the federal government knows the real number. And I also know the federal government does not want to know the real number. They want there to be an amnesty before they have to do a full count, because once the amnesty comes, then it doesn't matter what the count is, because you've already decided uh, we will have decided as the American people via our representatives that it's time for amnesty. So if it's 11 million or 20 million, we're just welcoming more people into our American family. And no one is going to feel like there's anything, uh, there's any particular jeopardy for their careers or for their credibility or anything else. And the Democratic Party is not going to view it as a liability, quite the, quite the opposite. They will think that it is a massive uh, benefit for them. So there you have it. Uh, Gene writes, uh, Gillibrand carrying on about climate change sounds like a five-year-old crying on the playground at recess. Please, for the love of all that's holy, stop sound bites like that. Shields high. Well, you know, Gene, I understand that there's there's a balance here between listening to the crazy leftists too much and listening to them so that you understand what they say and what they really believe. And I, I think we, we strike a pretty good balance. But, you know, Gillibrand really does remind me of, of a kind of young Hillary Clinton. You know, I think that she's somebody who will just say anything and do anything to get ahead in her political career. She has no ethical core to speak of. She's just somebody who really, really wants to be in power and really wants to be calling the shots. And that's why now she says that she's wrong. I don't know if you, you saw this, but Gillibrand, who used to be pretty pro-gun because she was a congress congresswoman from a part of New York State that being pro-gun was a, a smart thing to be. Now she's Miss, you know, March for Our Lives, Stop the Gun Violence, NRA is Bad, you know, whatever she has to say. So... Uh, she is a, a person that I don't think we have to worry about as a real presidential contender, but she will continue to be an irritation in American politics for the foreseeable future. Gene writes, just my opinion, but that beard makes you look like Taliban. Gene, come on. Taliban, man, that's harsh. Not a lot of red bearded Taliban guys running around. Look, the beard, I don't know how long the beard is going to stay. I go back and forth on it. So right now, though, it's finally grown in, so it's not patchy. So I'm enjoying that part of it. And I'm definitely going to keep it for a little bit longer. But in these hot D.C. months, I think clean shaven is going to beat out bearded. Just I think it's really hard to really hard to get excited about having a lot of fur on your face when it's uh, 95 degrees here with 100 percent humidity. Dottie, right? Just heard you talking about Hillary Jr. I mean, Kirsten, see? Dottie thinks the same thing I do. If she wants to talk about climate and loss of life to fire, what about Peshtigo? 
Oh, wait, 1871 was just about the end of the Little Ice Age, so I guess that doesn't count. Shaking my head. Dottie, I don't know what uh, Peshtigo is, so I'm going to have to leave that one up to you, but uh, thanks so much for writing in. Uh-oh. Harley writes, Buck, I got to disagree with this stretchy pants talk. I, for one, can't stand them. Maybe it's because I'm a barber and the short hair clippings get stuck in the elastic and never come back out. I wouldn't mind so much if I could find some normal pants, but lately I can't seem to find any non-stretch jeans anywhere. The only jeans I can find without elastic are either shapeless masses of fabric or jeans that cost $200 online. I hate it. Well, Harley, far be it for, for me to uh, tell you where you should get a good pair of jeans because I honestly don't really, I'm not really a, a jeans expert. And as for stretchy pants, I don't really know what the best move is there. I think you just got to go with, go with the flow, my friend. Go with the flow. All right, we got time for another one in here. Don right? Good evening, Buck. Shields higher. Nice to see the left tucking their tail and running on the road of President Trump's re-election. Uh, Testudo, Brother Don down in Louisiana. Oh, wait, Lower Alabama, not Cali. Wait, what? I'm confused here, Don, but I, I get what you're saying. Lower, lower Alabama is L.A.? Oh, L.A., Lower Alabama. Uh, come on, Buck. Get Sorry, guys. I'm already thinking about I got a couple of flights down to uh, El Paso, and I, I, my mind started to wander a little bit. I'm like, what, what flights am I going to be on exactly? This is, will this be like back in the day in the Indiana Jones movies where you get on a flight and there's a bunch of chickens flying around and all that stuff? Because I'm, I'm flying a budget airline, so I don't know which budget airline I'm going to be on. That's right. Buck flies coach. It's how, it's how we roll, folks. It's how we roll. Styling. Uh, that's going to be it for the show today, my friends. Uh, I'll be talking to you tomorrow from down on the border in El Paso, Texas. If you have any El Paso recommendations, by the way, hit me up on Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. I'll be out and about in El Paso tomorrow night. Maybe I'll see some of you at a bar. Until next time, Shields High. By now, you've probably heard me talk about Snippy.com, a new social media site. Well, if you've looked at Snippy.com and left, look again. Thousands of my listeners have joined Snippy.com, and they're expressing their opinions and stirring up lively conversations. Snippy is an unbiased social media platform that's all about conversation and community. Snippy not only encourages freedom of expression, but guarantees its users the ability to discuss topics freely without suppression from administrators. Just check into Snippy.com anytime for a quick update on politics, sports, current events, you name it. And Unlike those other social media platforms out there you've heard of, Snippy is a place where you don't have to worry about shadow banning, left-wing speech police, or any of that stuff. It's totally free to join and open to everyone. So check it out for yourself. Join like I have and post at snippy.com. Again, S-N-I-P-P-Y.com. No shadow banning, no suppression of conservatism, updated user interface, and exciting new features available in the Apple and Google App stores. Snippy is your new alternative social media. Media.